If you would open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, as we continue our study through this great book, coming to the end, Lord willing, we will only have three more messages in Hebrews, and we'll be done. About two and a half years, not fully, we did take a few breaks, so. but this is the text we come to today. So if you're visiting with us, this isn't picked out of the blue. This is just the text we've come to. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So to begin with, I want to say a few things about our hearts and our response to any teaching, really, about leadership and submission and authority and obedience. Why is submission to leaders so unpopular? It seems like this last year, year and a half, has demonstrated that we're not really interested in submission to leaders. Uh, And there, there are some unhelpful answers to that question, why it is that we balk at authority. And one, one way that we would answer that is just to say, well, it's just our culture. In our Western culture, we have a problem with authority, a problem with leadership. We're so independent. We're individualists, invictus. No, but that's not a helpful question. There's, it's, it's really uh, more of a problem about the type of leaders we want. Let me ask you this. Would it be easy for you to submit to a perfect leader? Be careful how you answer that. If only our leaders were more perfect, if we had an ideal president... An ideal mayor, an ideal governor, it would be so easy to submit to them, to follow their leadership. The problem, brothers and sisters, is not that we have imperfect leaders, it's that we crave the wrong kind of leader. We will freely submit to the bad kind of leader. Think of Saul. We don't want God, the perfect king, being our king. We want a guy who's going to tax us and take our stuff away so that we can be like the other nations around us. We're going to talk about this in a little bit, but Paul has the same issue with the super apostles. He preaches them the gospel of God's grace. They come in being more demanding. He's like, "You're, you're putting up with them. We want subjugation in a way, and in a dark and twisted way. Our hearts are postured to desire the worst kind. Of leadership. We have all, it seems, a kind of Stockholm syndrome because of the bludgeoning of the enemy through sin and that first subjugation under his dark domain. That's the problem. So, reading the whole thing in context, we don't have time to go through. I was going to read verses 7 through to 19, but uh, we are pressed for time. I'm trying to be more sensitive to that. Uh, But if you notice, verses 7 and 17, and really 17 through 19, form bookends for this section. 
In the whole context, what occurs in the middle really is this discussion about your hearts being fed by God's grace and, and that you shouldn't go to foods or the sacrificial system or whatever else it is you're trying to feed your heart with. But Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's the one you need because it is only in him that you find the grace that will strengthen your hearts. And so leaders form the bookend. So what does that have to do with it? The idea is that it's these leaders who are leading you to the good food. There's a meal that your soul needs to eat all the time, and these leaders, bookending this section, lead you to the good food. That's kind of the context and flavor here. So it's not so much about what leaders are, and this this text for us today is more about why we need leaders in the first place. In verse 9, he says, Do not be led away by strange and diverse teachings. So that's the problem. There's a tendency in us to be led astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. There's something in us that craves and, and is drawn off sides toward the strange and diverse teachings. And we try to feed our souls that way. And God's wisdom, His answer to this problem, this tendency in ourselves, is to send weak and imperfect men to function as leaders and shepherds of His church. So I want to state this very clearly. Because of this text, a Christian who is not submitted to a real, biblically qualified leader who exercises watch or keeps watch over his soul, who does not obey them but walks in stubbornness, is in disobedience to God. Saying it shorter, if you're not submitted to biblically qualified leaders, you're in disobedience. Because of texts like this, not just this one. I just want to say that very clearly at the outset. So, let's look at it together. What does it mean to obey and submit to our leaders? And the first phrase is, obey your leaders. Who are my leaders? Sort of, I, I mean, my heart responds that way. Your heart probably does too. It's sort of like, well, who is my neighbor? I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Well, tell me who that is, and I'll, I'll do it, Lord. Who are my leaders? It's an important question. So before we discuss what it means to obey, we do need to answer this question. How do I know who my leaders are? And if you look back at verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Paul says it this way. This is the issue he was running into with the super apostles. 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So our question is, you know, who, who are my leaders? Well, it's those who are leaderly towards you. Those who are speaking to you the word of God. It would be as if you were to ask, well, Everyone kind of has their restaurant, you know. And if, if, you're, if you're a type of person that eats out a lot, you could say, well, 
well, which is my restaurant? It's like, Bill, you eat here five times a week. I think this is your restaurant, you know? So whoever is being leaderly towards you, whoever is providing this service, if you will, is your leader. Your leaders are those who who you look to and expect to provide you with the Word of God and who you look to and expect to keep watch over your souls. So again, he's not talking about... We talked about this two weeks ago when we covered verses 7 through 9. He's not talking about your favorite author or your favorite preacher online. They can't exercise oversight care, watchfulness over your soul. And they're not speaking the word of God to you. They're just speaking, which is fine. We can all be strengthened by that. I am frequently. But they're not speaking the word of God to you. So the Bible calls these men several different things. It calls them overseers, elders, and shepherds. There are a few other terms, leaders in general. And shepherd, where we get the word pastor is actually from the Latin version of the word shepherd. So that's what we as Baptists typically prefer, but all it means is shepherd, and it's tied into elder and overseer, and they're all generally talking about the same thing. So remember, this is God's wisdom. It's His wisdom. Do you believe that you need such a person in your life? I mean, obviously you're here. You're you're a member of a church, so in some sense you have an awareness that we should belong to a church, but Deep down, do you know that you need someone in the leadership over you, exercising oversight and keeping watch over your very soul? Or is it just you and Jesus, and you've got your hell insurance, and you're fine, and you'll come here for your service and maybe encouragement, but you don't need soul care, soul vigilance? So, you should know by these qualifications and what we've said who your leader is, but what are we to do with them? The first thing he says is obey. And this is where the walls start going up and all power is diverted to shields and phasers. We go to battle stations because whenever we use words like obedience and submission, we get very defensive. Um, but we have both of them in this text. And it's as if the author is like, just so we're very clear, so you can't weasel out of this, I'm going to throw both of them in here uh, to tell you what you're supposed to do with these men. A few, I want to say a few things before we continue about hard words in the Bible. And there are many hard words. The Bible is inerrant. All of it is breathed out by God and is profitable for you, even the hard parts. So if I were to waffle on certain issues that are culturally hot-button issues, you'd probably leave this church, and rightly so. But if I were to waffle on this, not talk about it, not bring it up, not have a clear stance of this is what the Bible says, so we're going to be in obedience to it, it probably wouldn't ruffle any feathers. It won't get you in much trouble waffling on the issue of obedience and submission because no one likes it. I don't like talking about it. But we got to stand in the box and take a fastball to the face as you plant your flag on texts like this. And people may leave your church. I mean, there is a tendency to pontificate and clarify what a person means by submission. I mean, marking covenants up, 
saying, well, I'm not going to do this, I'll do this, and here's how it'll work. That's not submission or obedience. So what does it mean? Whatever else we would say about obedience, we have to come to the point where we say there is an attitude of deference. An attitude of deference. Um, Obviously, we all must obey God rather than men. Okay? There's a clear command of God, and your leader, whoever they are, president, pastor, parent, husband, is telling you something else. You obey God rather than men. But... If submission and obedience for you means I'll follow them as long as they tell me to do exactly what I would otherwise do, that's not submission or obedience. Would you accept that from your child? I'll follow you, I'll submit as long as you just tell me what I want to hear and tell me what I want to do. Kids, that's not obedience. If I disagree with your philosophy of life, mom and dad, then I'll, I'll go a different way. Obviously, again, obey God rather than men. I'm not saying anything otherwise. But again, this goes back to the idea, is it true that we would just be so much more submissive and obedient if we had perfect leaders? Here's how Spurgeon talks about this. Speaking of people that are insubmissive, insubordinate, he says, They deprecate the ministers whom God sends them and profess that they would gladly listen if different preachers could be found. Nothing can please them. Cephas is too blunt. Apollos is too flowery. Paul is too argumentative. Timothy is too young. James is too severe. John is too gentle. What if it were the Apostle Paul himself who were pastor of any church that you are part of? I'm not saying this one. We're just talking about the text here. What if it were the Apostle Paul himself? If you were belonging to one of the churches in Asia Minor, Asia Minor or in Greece throughout the Roman Empire, I think we would be just like the Galatians and just like the Corinthians. Because it's not about the quality of leadership so much as it is is our tendency to desire that which is unhealthy. Remember, it is God's wisdom that you would learn humility and grow in maturity through the leadership of imperfect and inadequate leadership. In short, sorry, I'm going to say it this way, obey means obey. Uh, We have hopefully known what this word means, obey, since we were very little, but it's never been a word that we've liked until we're the parent insisting on obedience, right? (laughs) The nuance of the word in the original, though, is the idea of listening. Listening to what's being said. I mean, I, as a parent, this is, this is key, right? A willing ear, right? A desire to hear what is being said and, and a desire to even, even change your mind. That, that I'm going to listen with the intent that there may be things that need to change in me as I hear what my leader is saying. And we're commanded by God. I mean, it's an imperative of Scripture. It can't be any more clear. And I'm not more compassionate than Jesus, so I'm not going to try to to amalgamate the command to make it a little more palpable. I'm just going to say it as is, because I know it's good for you. 
And it is awkward to be the one saying it. So I want to give a caveat. Again, even though I've just said that, it's very clear, biblically. A biblical qualified leader is not domineering. Jesus says this in Matthew 20. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It could also be rendered, It is not so with you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see this exemplified in the life of the Apostle Paul. We have more insight into his ministry than probably anyone else in the New Testament save the Lord himself. But we even have Paul talking about his own motivations and desires towards specific churches. So in that sense, we have the most insight to the Apostle Paul. And he talks about how he's like a nursing mother with the churches. He's tender and gentle, and he's not even insisting on his rights because he doesn't want to be a hindrance between them and the gospel. So there's a way to lead as a leader that's not servant-like, that's not Christ-like. And if it ever becomes that way in this body or any body that you're a part of, any church that you're a part of, you have the sacred trust from God to remove such leaders. The body... Christ, the church, the local church, has the sacred trust to both appoint and remove its own leaders. And I rejoice in that. It ought to be that way. I'm in submission to you. But while someone is your leader, your command from God is to obey. If they step out of line, if they're no longer leading you to the good food of Jesus himself, if they're no longer teaching you the word, get rid of them quickly. You don't want to be under the care of a bad leader. This is why, as an aside, I'm very careful about telling you or asking you to do things that aren't, one, an explicit command of Scripture, or two, or at least an attempt as a church to keep a command of Scripture. This is why knowing and being familiar with our current church covenant is key. And so if I ask of you anything that you can't point to a principle or a text in the scripture and it doesn't make sense, at least have a conversation with me, but maybe that's something that we shouldn't be trying to do. And then he says, and submit to them. So obey to your leaders, and just in case we missed his point, he says, and submit to to them. It's the only place in the New Testament that this specific word for submit is used, which is common in Hebrews. Um, and it carries the sense of allowing oneself to be persuaded. Um, an idea, the idea is yielding to what is said. So just, just think about your own children or the people who God has put under your authority. When you see that spirit, that heart of, I... I may not agree with you, but I desire to be influenced by what you say. That's when you know that you have your child's heart. And that's the goal of parenting. It's not just white-knuckling obedience. It's to know that you have their heart and they desire to yield to what is being said. This is how one commentator translated it. He called it a habitual readiness to comply. Use that in your parenting conversations. Do you have a habitual readiness to comply, dear son, Dear daughter, and this is a massive argument for church membership. 
Because just because someone out there calls, them your, calls themselves your leaders or claims to be an elder or a pastor, that doesn't mean that you have to submit to them. Church membership clarifies who are my leaders in the context of this passage. And you, especially as a congregational church, and I don't have time to get into all the, the specifics of why we are that way and why I am that way by conviction, you are supposed to choose your leaders And you can choose very poorly. So choose wisely. And men, and this maybe as a gift to the moms, wives in the room, if if you can model submission to your wives by submitting to godly leaders, it's going to be a lot easier for them to submit to your leadership. I guarantee it. So, we we must submit to whom? Who who are we to submit to? To them. Who are they? Your leaders. How do I know that they're my leaders? Well, they're the ones who speak the word of God to me and watch over my soul. And I look to them to provide me with such care. So here are a few non-negotiables for you to know um, if you should submit to them. Number one, am I being pointed to Christ by the teaching and life example of this leader? And they're being pointed to Christ by the teaching and example of this leader. Number two, is my very soul being fed Christ himself by the teaching of this leader? And I'm drawing these from verses 7 through 17. This is where all this comes from. Is my very soul being fed by Christ himself and by the teaching of this leader? Number three, does Christ have more and more supremacy when this leader's leading is being followed? Is Christ more and more the point? Is it, is it this leader's ideas or his trajectory or his plans? Or is it, is it Christ and Christ being made much of and him being exalted? And if you can answer yes to those three questions, then that person is your leader. And you should obey all five imperatives of this, sec- this section. Remember, consider, imitate, obey, and submit. That's just straight scripture imperatives for you. And if they're doing those three things, then we can be very patient with them and their inadequacies in other areas. So yes, the best compliment you can give me is not, what a great sermon, but what a great Messiah. And I know you might mean the same thing when you say that, but you see the the difference in heart. I'm not trying to make you impressed with with a lecture or or a, a, a style of gathering. I want you to leave stunned by the majesty and glory of Christ. That's the point. That's why we're trying to do the things that we're doing. I'm trying to connect you to Him. Not a program or, or a, a method. Or... Sometimes the Word of God itself can become a distraction because of our wicked hearts. Just like the Pharisees. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have life, but it is they that testify to me and you refuse to come to me that you might have life. I'm trying to connect you to the Messiah. So maybe for you, it would be something like this. I don't like his style. I don't like where he's from. Not a native. I don't like much of what he asks us to do, and I don't like that he's so young. I don't like that he doesn't have a master's degree, and I don't like that he has different views than I do, but 
if you would also say, yet every time when I come and listen, I leave with more of Christ Jesus and I leave wanting more of him, then my job is done. I don't care about any of that other stuff. If you are, if you are trained and your appetite is stoked for Christ himself, then I've done my job. That's a win. So why do we need leaders? That's an, that's an honest question. It's the next point in your notes. Why do we need leaders? And you could also ask at the same time, and why should we obey and submit to them? Both honest questions, as long as you're asking it in faith. Why do we need leaders? Why do we need to submit to them? Number one, for they are keeping watch over your souls. You could, you could change the word for to because. Because they are keeping watch over your souls. This is stunning. Why do I need to listen to, be persuaded by, have a habitual attitude of, of uh, yielding? Because they're keeping watch over your souls. It's an amazing statement. And here's how it would be rendered literally. For they are being vigilant over the souls of you all. We need to retrain our minds, I think. Pretend you never knew this verse. Pretend you've never read it. You've never heard anyone mention it. And I were to accost you in the hallway and say, Who is keeping watch over your soul? I think without exception, we would say Jesus and have nothing else to say. And that's true. He is the great shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. However, I need you to listen very closely to this. I'm going to say it twice, so don't, don't tune out. It is the Father's wisdom and way to make sure that Jesus loses none of those that the Father has given to Jesus, that Jesus himself, would give leaders and shepherds to the church to watch over the souls of his people. It's a long sentence, let me say it again. It is the Father's wisdom and way to make sure that Jesus loses none of those that he has given to Jesus, that Jesus himself would give leaders and shepherds to the church to watch over the souls of his people. That's from Ephesians 4, explicitly. And he gave. This is after his ascension, the glorious ascension of Christ back into heaven. Where are you going, Jesus? Don't worry. I'm going to give you a gift. It's the Holy Spirit, obviously, but that text doesn't mention the Spirit. It mentions the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, the shepherds to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is how God accomplishes his purposes. Why? (laughs) It seems terribly inefficient. Why does he give people like me to you to watch over your soul? Is the arm of the Lord shortened? No. Is Jesus inadequate? Does he need our help? No. People balk, I think, at this idea of submission because they don't understand the idea of soul care and why other people are needed to provide this for you. And why it's not just Jesus who is your shepherd. The way I've said it to other people in the past is, you need a shepherd whose name is not Jesus. Do you believe that? You need Jesus as your shepherd. If you're a Christian, it already is the case. He is your shepherd. But you need a shepherd whose name is not Jesus. The reason Jesus has given you 
inadequate earthenware vessels to you in order to watch over your souls and not perfect people or angels or Jesus in the flesh standing here is in order to bless you. I want to give you two examples of how this is the case. Do you remember Thomas? There Jesus is. Lord, I believe. He sees him. I mean, how much better a situation can you get? The scars on his hands, the wound in his side, and the scars in his feet. And there he is. Lord, I believe. Do you believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. This is why I think Jesus waited to send the Spirit until a few days had elapsed so it would still be by faith for them, too. That their faith would be real faith and not just sight. Here's another example from the Old Testament. Did the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud help that much in preventing rebellion and faithlessness? I mean, every day, In the wilderness, there is a massive pillar of cloud leading us from place to place and a massive pillar of fire leading us from place to place and still grumbling and faithlessness and God is not able to defeat these giants. The problem is here. The problem is human unbelief. And even if it were Jesus himself standing in the flesh right before you, it would be less of a blessing because it would be sight for you. What God desires is faith. Faith is what pleases Him. And part of the point is for there to be a massive contrast between the treasure of the gospel in the foreground and the weakness and inadequacy of the minister in the background. That's the point. Paul says it himself. Death is at work in us, but life in you. It's part of the plan. It's part of his way to ensure that you just don't believe because it's right before your face, but you have faith because it is faith and it has always been by faith that God is pleased. The idea is this. It works better to combat our sinful and unbelieving hearts than if Jesus himself were here. Think of it this way. What we're looking forward to, brothers and sisters, is not just Jesus coming and standing on the earth, but what Paul talks about when he says, we shall be changed. I need to be changed because I am unbelieving. I struggle to have the right kind of faith and view of God and and trust in his promises. And so what needs to change is not just the location of Jesus, but I've got to be radically changed. When we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the hope. And so while we are sojourning here, we need people who aren't going to make us trust in them. Less impressive, broken, weak, earthenware vessels. This is Paul's point. So that your faith may not rest on men, but on the power of God. So what does it mean to provide vigilance over the souls of those in one's charge? So many things could be said here, of what it means to, to watch over souls. But this isn't a sermon about the job description of elders, um, so we're not going to investigate everything. We want to limit it to what's in the text. The, the word could be rendered vigilance. Um, 
And I think it should be taken in the context of verse 9. Just, just look, look up a few verses. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. So the point is, you're going to be led by something. You're, you're going to submit yourself to something, some kind of teaching, some type of life, some type of example. And don't let it be the strange and diverse teachings. And so the, these, these leaders that he is exhorting them to submit themselves to are qualified because they're keeping watch over their souls and making sure they don't go and eat the bad food, consume the bad teaching. This is how Paul says it in Acts chapter 20. I wish I could roll the, read the whole section. Homework for you would be reading Acts twenty seventeen through 35 if you want to just... Soak in Paul's own heart as a shepherd. But here's how he says it to the Ephesian elders. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink or or step back from. I didn't fail to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know, Paul says, he doesn't have a crystal ball, he just knows how human hearts work. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the own flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. To put it in simple terms... The word of Christ brings life, false teaching, bad doctrine, bad ideas bring death. So caring for your soul, keeping vigilance over your soul is a matter of teaching what is right and steering you away from what is wrong. That's the job. And it's not just what is taught on Sunday morning. Paul says day and night. As many opportunities as you'll give me, I will try to do this. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To put it even more simply, there's good food for your soul here. In Christ and in His Word, and there's a lot of bad food for your soul elsewhere. And I'm trying to help you understand what that line is. This is such a challenge today. It's not that it's any greater a challenge than it was for the Apostle Paul. It's just different, because now anyone anywhere can say anything about anything and get it everywhere instantly. And your kids probably have a smartphone. And they're smarter than you about getting what they want on it. We talk about don't be led astray by strange and diverse teachings. It's not even teachings anymore. It's just content. And they're trying to feed their souls on it, whatever it is. Benign in our estimation or abased. And it's not feeding their souls In addition to so much of the content that's out there, there, there's there's all these books, there's preaching, 
There's music, there's entertainment, there's media that is just plainly bad food. It's strange and diverse content. And it's not that you should never read or consume anything that's wrong. I've read most of the sacred texts, so-called, of other world religions. But the far greater danger is half-truths masquerading as truths. So think of it this way. I'd be less worried if you told me you were reading the Talmud or the Bhagavad Gita, assuming you're a relatively mature Christian with a good reason to do that, versus if you were to read from virtually half or more of what sits on the bookshelves at Christian bookstores. Because it's masquerading, it's the, it's the tactic of the enemy. Half-truths, partial truths, slight distortions. We're less on our guard against those things. Or, for most of what happens on Christian so-called radio, it's not good food, most of it. In summary, we need leaders, and we have to submit to our leaders because they keep watch over our souls by steering us and guiding us to the good food and away from the bad food. And that's why we need to listen to them and yield to them. So the second reason, that was all the first reason, because we need someone to watch over our soul. The second reason that we need to obey and submit to our leaders is It says, the text says, as those who will give an account, will have to give an account. We need leaders because judgment day is coming. How often do you think about the last day? And not in a fanciful way like rapture, millennia, and all that fun stuff like The last day, you are before the Lord on his great white throne, giving an answer for everything, every thought, word, and deed. How often do you think about that, young people? How often does it enter your mind? By God's grace and because of passages like this, and especially this one, I think about it almost every day. And it's helpful and needful that your leaders should be thinking this way. And not thinking so much about the next building initiative. Or next program to be started. Or next budget season. Or or a five-year vision. Or their own legacy or retirement so much. But that day is coming. Therefore, what should we be doing right now to get ready for it? Not that those other things are wrong or bad, but the majority of our time should be to present everyone mature in Christ, to betroth you to one husband and to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That's exactly how Paul speaks about it. Because that day is coming. So what is this idea of giving an account? This part what keeps me up at night and drives me to be concerned for you. Yes, you I mean, I love you, and love should be the primary motivation. Uh, Go to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 15. You can see these things at work. Second Corinthians 4, starting in verse... I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. 
What an amazing statement. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So love should control us. Love should be a primary motivator. But look back up to verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. And fear prepares the way for love being what controls your heart. Just a few ideas to tie this together. What, what is this talking about? Uh, Paul says, the verse we already read, he said, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. It's doubtlessly an allusion back to what God says to Ezekiel. If I tell you to tell a wicked person to turn from their sin and repent, and you don't tell him, I will require his blood by your hand. I will hold it against you, God says. And I don't think that means that those who fail in ministry will lose their salvation. Jesus will lose none of those that the Father has given him. But I think it carries the illusion of what Paul talks about in your life's work being tested by fire. And I think there are many who have lived their lives and done ministry in a way that hasn't been keeping watch over the souls under their care. And all of their life's work is just going to be burned up. And I don't know what it means to be saved as through fire, but I don't want to find out. And I don't want you to find out. And that's what I'm trying to help you do, to build your life on Christ himself and away from the strange and diverse teachings so that when you show up and your life is tested by God's holy fire, that it's not just consumed like stubble. I don't want you to experience that. Because that day is coming. So, who are my leaders? Those who actually want to do this for you. The, the, the actual original has, carries this idea of uh, willingness, that for they desire to or they want to give an account. Those who are voluntarily going to give an account. So, you know, it's kind of evidence of either being crazy or being an actual gift of Jesus that there are certain men who, say, who view this awesome and awful task of giving an answer to God for souls under their care. And they say, yeah, I want to do that. And it doesn't terrify me enough to make me say I'm not interested. So again, either proof of being crazy or gift of God to you. That's the only way you can account for it. it given that I believe that that day is actually going to happen. There are many people who don't believe it's going to happen and just peddle God's word and profiteer off the people of God, they don't believe that day's coming where they're going to have to give an account. And that's why they don't care for their sheep. They just get rich and fly their jets everywhere and line their pockets. It's all going to burn. They themselves might be saved, but as through fire. So, how to help in the care of your own soul? Here's how it could be translated. He, he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Here's a way to say it. So that they may do this with joy and not groaning. He's expressing the purpose of obedience and submission. Obey and submit to them because they're keeping watch over your soul so that they can do that without groaning and with joy. Or with joy and not with groaning. 
So it is the leaders are the ones who are being referred to as the one who may groan. And it's the same word used for the creation groaning in Romans 8, or in this tent we groan. And the idea is that you, as a person, as a sheep, we're all sheep here, but you as a sheep have it in your own hand as to whether or not, at least in your case, my attempts to keep watch over your soul produces joy or groaning. But it's not about being a people pleaser. Here's how John says it in 3 John verse 14. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the, church, in the truth. You're not my children in the literal sense. But if I'm keeping watch over your soul, the thing that gives me most joy isn't anything else you would fill in the blank. But to know that you're walking in the truth. That you are actually finding your way to the one food that can feed your soul and strengthen your heart and that you are actually feeding on that. And in some cases, it's difficult to know. And I can say from experience that there is almost nothing so grievous that I've experienced in life than trying to lead and shepherd and exercise soul watchfulness over people who have no interest in such things. But there is hardly anything more joyful that I've experienced in my life than to see a direct line of connection between the things I'm trying to do, the things I'm saying, and your improving and your your growth in the Lord and your desire to feed on Christ and you being filled with all the fullness of God. To see that line of connection, not that I'm taking any credit for it, but to know that I'm a cog in the wheel of God's purposes to sanctify you and bring you to Christ himself. There's, There's nothing hardly in this life that gives more joy. So why should we care if the one providing soul care has joy in our case, or it produces groaning in our case for them. Well, here's what he says. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the logic of the passage is this. You need someone to exercise watchfulness, vigilance over your soul. That's what the leader's doing. And they're a qualified or unqualified leader based on if they're actually doing that, leading you to Jesus and not to the bad food or the strange and diverse teaching. So you should let them do this with joy. And if you don't, then it's no advantage to you. You essentially forfeit the benefit of the soul care that's attempting to be done. There's no point anymore You have a pastor in name only. You have annulled and forfeited the benefit of Christ's own gift to you. Think of it this way. Through insubordination or ignoring leadership, not having a willing ear, not having a posture of teachability, you're essentially taking the gift of Christ, Ephesians 4, that he's giving to you and throwing it back into Christ's face. So while... The text phrases in the negative, no advantage for you, for that would be of no advantage to you. I do want to end on a positive note. And it's strongly implied and clearly asserted in the text. If you do what this passage commands, then it will benefit you. You will have benefit from it. 
It will be to your advantage. So what is the benefit? What is the advantage? A couple of things that we've seen. Not having your life, your whole life's work and teaching and beliefs all burned up with fire and having to have the experience of being saved through fire. But from the context, the benefit is, the advantage for you is that you're not going to be led into strange and diverse teachings. It'd be like food poisoning. You can imagine if, you're, if every day you're just consuming things that got all kinds of bacteria and it's just making your life miserable, that's what bad teaching does for you. And so my desire, and this is leading us to the imagery of a shepherd, is to lead you to the good food that's not going to make you sick. And so health, spiritual health, is the benefit for you. And then also the idea, the benefit is that you're actually led to the good food, which is Christ himself. Paul says... I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for your sake. He's not saying that there's anything lacking in the cross or anything lacking in the gospel. He's saying that my ministry to you as a shepherd is doing what Christ in heaven specifically said that he's not going to do, but is going to do through shepherds for you. In short, if you have a leader who who constantly points you to Christ in his life and teaching then to have a habitual readiness to comply and listen will cause you to gain more of Christ. So I want to say just a few things very quickly. Sort of like the passage, live with your wives. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Not just women in general, but know your wife. So let them do this, specifically your leaders. So there, there should be some consideration of the specifics of your leader. So I want to say just a few things. One, begin studying the theology of elders and pastors in plurality. Because we're going that way, and we've, I, I said this in the, the interviews, and in everything else I was asked, that, that the trajectory was plurality of elders. And that's going to be difficult. But you can help me not do this with groaning by being ready, willing, and educated about that. If you want resources to answer what that means, you can just go to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. So many other places, and I can send you books if you want, but just be ready and willing. I don't know when it's going to happen, but this is an awesome, awful task, and it can't just be me. That's not God's ideal. Number two, be present. This is why I think the author of Hebrews says, Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves. Exhort one another every day. This is part of how the shepherd is going to exercise watchfulness over your soul for you to be present. Number three, (laughs) look forward uh, to, uh, just look down a few verses to verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. If you got this as a letter... And they read the whole thing to you, and then he concluded it saying, bear with this word of exhortation, essentially a sermon, uh, for I've written to you briefly. Please extend me the benefit of the doubt that I may have just a tiny bit more of fear and trembling for your soul in the last day than maybe even you do. Because I'm going to have to answer for you. You're going to get to go sit down. And I've got to stand, and your name is going to be on the list of things that 
Lord Jesus and I are going to talk about. So, help me. Number four, ask questions. You can make my day by asking me a difficult theological question or, or a serious concern that you have about a prayer need in your life. Just, and that's a sense of just opening up your heart to me so that I can exercise care and watchfulness and vigilance. Number five, walk in the truth and love one another. This can't be just a pastor providing watchfulness. This is why Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 exists. Exhort one another every day so that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You've got to be providing this to each other. You're not going to have to give an account in the same way that I will, but you will have to answer for how you use your time. Make the best use of the time for the days are evil. And the way that you can make the best use of the time is to exhort your brother and sister in Christ. And lastly, know that Christ himself is both the food that any biblical leader should be leading you to, any biblical shepherd, his main objective should be to lead you to the food for your soul that is Christ himself. And he is the great shepherd. And this is why I have read the benediction to Hebrews most frequently. He says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, my inadequacy, my weaknesses are meant to show you Jesus is the one you need. So know it and embrace it. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for hard texts. I pray that we all would bear with this word of exhortation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. stand together. Are you thankful that Christ has given you a shepherd for your souls, even in the form of a weak man? And, you know, think about this, by extension, when your pastor, your shepherd pursues you, what is